Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour, and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Well, greetings, tomatoes. I'm Cheryl Benton. I'm host of today's Happy Hour podcast, and I am happy to welcome a very dear friend, Valerie Smaldone, who's also a longtime contributor to The Three Tomatoes, as my guest today. Valerie is a true Renaissance woman whose many talents continue to evolve in exciting new directions. Her voice is immediately recognizable to many of us because for years she held the number one on-air position in the New York radio market, and she's a five-time Billboard Magazine award winner. She's considered one of the top voiceover people in the country. She is a fabulous interviewer, an actress, a producer, and now she has directed her first feature film, which was just released called The Thursday Night Club that features Gloria Gaynor. But it's so much more than just a film. It's entertainment with a mission that helps to lift us up and inspires us to be better people. And I can't think of a better mission in a world where we often feel dragged down by the barrage of daily bad news and the divisiveness that surrounds us. So welcome, Valerie Smaldone. Um, thank you for having me on your program. I really appreciate it. On your podcast, I really appreciate it. Well, I'm 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 so excited to have you here. But before we talk about this latest venture, which I'm so excited about it, I, I want to go back in time just a little bit and talk about your evolution because you were seemingly to the world sitting on top at least of the radio world. And one day you decided you just didn't want to do that anymore and you quit. And I remember talking to you at the time because we were kind of going through a similar uh, journey about this. And you said you felt like you had jumped off a cliff. You didn't know where you were going to land. So tell our audience a little bit about what you were thinking then when you did that. And would you do it again? Hmm. You know, it's a funny thing, Cheryl, because we're going back a long ways now. And I always say the life before the pandemic, and this was way, way, way before the pandemic. Right. You're talking about, you know, 15 years ago, uh, which seems like a lifetime. But yeah, I was on the air for 24 years in New York. I was in a most wonderful position. I always called us the the Yankees of radio, a heritage radio station that grew from nothing to become a behemoth in the industry. And I was part of that. And I was very, very honored to be a part of the air staff and the really the development of this radio station. It was every day for seven days a week um, doing this radio program. But I unfortunately have a problem because I am a Gemini and I like to do a lot of things and I need to have a lot of stimulation creatively. And so, although that was a beautiful job, I wanted to do more and it was conflicting. The more was conflicting with the schedule that I had. 
circumstances led me to be able to leave at the time. And um, I also felt in, in my in my heart that music radio, due to technology and development in technology, may not have been, will not have continued to be the um, driving force that it was in radio at the time. So the idea of timeliness, technology, and my desire to do more kind of converged. And I said, I think now is the time at the end of a contract, my contract was ending, to not accept the next one that they offered me. And so, as you said, I leapt off this cliff. And guess what? It was 2008, which if anybody remembers, right. <laughs> was not a good time financially. No. <laughs> it was not a good time to do this. Um, who knew? Who knew? I didn't know. It was, the, you know, making this decision at the end of 2007, 2008 comes and there was a freeze on hiring everywhere. Nobody was being hired. And that started my journey of despair for a little while. I was really in a pickle because I thought, who am I? What am I doing? But I also felt great resolve, Cheryl, that I did the right thing. And I felt I had to do it. Time was right. And I'm, I would do it again for sure. And, you know, pain is something you go through. You accept it. You go through the pain. There's always a reward on the other side. It may take a little longer, but I felt my reward was there. And I, I think it, I've come to it. Well, you sure have. And I'm glad you shared that story because I think it's so important for women to hear these kinds of stories because, you know, I think we get caught up in that fear of leaping off the cliff, you know, when we really should be taking, you know, those kinds of chances and that kind of a jump and um, that it can be the right thing. And very often, and usually if your gut is telling you that, I think it is, the, I think it is the right thing. I know it was for, for me too, around the same, uh, around the same time. And since then, I've just watched you evolve from one thing to another. I mean, acting, producing, uh, voiceover work. I mean, you're, you're busy all the time doing such a myriad of things. Yeah. So tell us just a little bit about that before we get to the, to the latest thing. Absolutely. I also think it's important to share this, that we are so tied up in our identity as a profession. And I had to really let that go. I was embarrassed, Cheryl. I have to tell you, there was probably a couple of years I wouldn't go anywhere where I'd see friends from the industry because they'd say, what are you doing now? And I had no answer. I had no good answer. And I was embarrassed and I didn't want to feel like a failure. And so that was a lesson to me is how tied we are to who we are as a uh, profession or our, what do we do? It, it, this is very American. You know, you go to other parts of the world, they don't care what you do. They care who you are. Exactly. They, they care what you contribute to the world or who you are as a human being. And I wanted to let that go too. So it was a, many, many lessons for me to go through uh, this period of time. Uh, as far as what I did, I started to learn that I knew something because I didn't know. And I credit you, Miss Cheryl Benton. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you why. I don't know if you remember this. You were very kind to invite me to host many events that you had. And it was early into this new phase. You had an event at the Yale Club. I don't know if you remember this. And I think I was hosting it or speaking. Yes, at, you were. Yeah. And a woman came up to me and said, I need your help. I have an internet radio show. That internet radio was big at the time, pre-podcasts. 
and I need your help. And I said, I can't help you. She said, well, you've just, you have a radio career. I said, yeah, but I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I did what I did. No idea. She said, I, I really think you can help me. I'll pay you. And when she said those magic words, I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, send me your tapes. And I listened and I started to write. Well, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, but then my pen comes out. I start writing, writing, writing pages and pages of notes. And she became my first client, which I received this woman through you at your event. So you have been kind of magical in my life for many reasons. <laughs> well, you're magical in my life too, but you know, I, I love that story too, because it's a, it's another lesson about when keeping, just keeping open to possibilities. Cause I think sometimes we tend to close ourselves off you know, a lot of people would have just walked away from that. And, it was, and I'm sure the money helped, but it wasn't just that. It was something said, oh, maybe I can do this. And I think of so many times when, you know, I maybe haven't taken those kind of opportunities and, and as opposed to the times when I have and just said, all right, I'm going to just try this and what the heck. And that usually has always led to something good and positive. So I think that's another really good message for mm -hmm. Uh, for women to be hearing and I and like you I was caught up in in my identity was caught up for so long in what I did because I was an advertising executive I remember the same thing when I left and going to some advertising functions and suddenly I, I went from being president of agencies to being nobody and no one paid attention to me right. so it's really difficult when that's how you've identified yourself to your right to learning who you are as a person and the other things you have to mm -hmm. offer. So, and, and that says a lot about society too, that people look through you when they know that you can't help them any longer, or you don't have quote power any longer. And um, I, my first taste of quote power was at WFUV Fordham university's radio station. I started the first day I, I came to Fordham and I learned that the call letters gave me power. Conversely, when you no longer have those call letters, you don't have that power and you have to find the power from within. And that became my journey of the last 15 years. And it was a very painful journey. It was not easy. It was not easy, but why should it be? Nothing, you know, if you, you, you need to go through some really hard times to appreciate and to have gratitude for what you have learned. And this journey of life is about not only making money or not only having success, but about what you've learned and what you can contribute. Well, that was beautifully, beautifully said. And I couldn't agree more with that, that sentiment. So now I want to move on to the amazing things that you're now doing. And I know you became part of a group called the Story Plant Entertainment Company. And they have a really interesting uh, mission, and I want to. We want to hear more about that, and also the way this, um, the unusual way that this film, the Thursday Night Club, came about. Right. So I, a couple of years ago, I was I had a radio show called Bagels and Broadway, and uh, even during the pandemic, when theater and and restaurants were shut down, I continued to do it and found that everybody in the industry found another way to be creative, even if it wasn't a job. It was everybody was really harnessing their power and their uh, contacts to continue to do content creatively, whether it was theater, whether it was online, 
however they were helping each other. So I kept the podcast and the radio show going. And I was introduced to two gentlemen who started this company, an audio drama podcast company, and I interviewed them for my show. I received a call the next day from one of them saying, we'd like to talk to you. And my mom had just passed away prior to this interview. And I always said, I think mom engineered this because she knew I was a bit lost. Mm -hmm. Like everybody else, all of my jobs had fallen off the table because I was hosting many live events. I lost 15 or 20 jobs that year and voice live events. And so here was another avenue. I think my mom was involved with this. So I came on board this company and I came on as a producer and I started to produce content with them. And this story, the Thursday Night Club, was in their intellectual property. One of their writers had written this beautiful story that the parent company published because it's a publishing company. They then produced it as an audio drama podcast. This is before I joined. And the plan was always to make it into a film. That got waylaid for a couple of years due to obvious reasons. And we picked it up again and started developing the concept. So the company uh, and I and my partners produced this. We started October of 21 to uh, go into the town of New Milford, Connecticut and introduce ourselves to the mayor and the film commissioner and to look for some funding, which we found. And so October 21 to October 22, one year later, the film was out, not only shot, shot, edited and out. Wow, that's amazing. I want to do a shout out to my partners, Monty Hobbs, Matthew Shazarex, Lou Aronica, uh, we produce this, and Mike Furman is one of the uh, producers also from New Milford, Connecticut, an editor. We created this film in this little town, and um, Gloria Gaynor is featured in this movie. She's making her feature film debut. That's amazing. So how did you get Gloria involved in this project? And I know you have a famous drummer involved in it, too. There's, yes. It's got some great people great pieces to this in terms of who's involved, I think. Yeah, there are several very interesting stories about the cast. So Gloria, I interviewed numerous times and I, uh, not only on radio, but also live at 92Y. She had a book out a few years ago and I really liked her manager. You know, I've met and dealt with many, many managers in the, in the entertainment business, but her manager was unique and special. She was very accessible. She answered me in seconds. And I always remembered how much I liked her manager and Gloria, of course, but you can't get to people without their people, right? So I went back to Stephanie and I said, hey, would Gloria be interested in playing a part of a doctor? And the bone marrow arc of the story, which is also important to, to our film, is something she will be a part of. She always wanted to act in a film. She's appeared as herself, but right. act in the film and the doctor, she named Dr. Poitier because uh, he had just died. Mr. Poitier Aww. had passed away. So in, in uh, honor of him, she named the doctor Dr. Poitier. So she has a small role, but she's featured in it. And she has been kind enough to do lots of press and lots of promotion for the movie on Pure Flix, which just came out November 1st. That's wonderful. What a great story. Yeah. And really? now tell us about the music, because that's another great story. So 
Carmine Apice is a rock and roll drummer. He's one of the top drummers of all time in any compilation of drummers. You might remember him, Boomers, from uh, <laughs> Vanilla Fudge. And he played with Rod Stewart and Jeff Beck. Uh, he co-wrote Do You Think I'm Sexy? I mean, he has quite a history in the rock business. But And Carmine's a dear friend. Carmine and his wife, Leslie Gold. Leslie's one of my best, best, best buddies. And... Carmine, her husband, and um, we were at their house in St. Martin a few years ago, and he said, hey, I just wrote a song I want you to hear, and it was a Christian song, because Carmine had gone through an, his own epiphany, and he had a serious medical issue. He was out of the country. He thought he was dying. He asked for help, and uh, he believes that through his um, situation that he was saved by God and Christ. And so he started to become very faith oriented. He started to write some songs in the faith genre and he played it for me in St. Martin. I says, it's really good, Carmine. I really like it. It has a good beat. Cut to two years later, we're producing a faith-based film and uh, it's open. I have to be very clear. This film is not about one particular faith. It's about faith in yourself, faith in God, and faith in humanity. It's a little bit more larger idea of faith. So we acquired three or licensed three of his songs that are really cool and bring a lot to the movie. I think it really adds a lot. So we're very honored to have Carmine, a piece, a part of this. That's and this great. that I think is important, if you don't mind my mentioning, Cheryl, as I mentioned, the bone marrow arc in the story, it happened to be written. Nobody put it in other than the, the author. And um, I said, I want to cast a real bone marrow donor in this film. And I did a little research and I found a young man from Central Connecticut State University several years ago on the football team, uh, did a swab. That's how you get into the registry. And he was a match for a, a very little child. And so he gave his bone marrow to this little girl, saved her life. And it became sort of a national story. You can Google it. It was on NBC Nightly News, People Magazine. And Mike Mushaw from Central Connecticut State University now is a project manager for a construction firm in Connecticut because it's years later, is in my movie. And he's not an actor, but I felt that it would bring such great karma to the role to have a real bone marrow donor in this movie oh i love it it just all sounds like serendipity that all of us came together and all all of the people in the pieces so tell us the plot of the story tell us a little bit about what the movie is the thursday night club is about five college friends who meet every thursday night for dinner in their homes they they, they rent homes in the college campus and they're really great friends it's um, uh, the five friends. So one of the friends, characters, Jesse, played by Amanda Tolero, has always talked about her father being this amazing guy and the family doing charitable projects every Christmas since they were little. And she talked to them about their giving back. And the other four was like, that's nice. That's that's really cool. That's nice. Well, one day, as the, they're nearing the end of their college lives, they're about to graduate in a few months, the father comes to dinner with the Thursday night club. And he tells them about 
the importance of giving back and he challenges them. You know, you have to do more than just study or be looking at your career. I know you're all worried about what's next and who's going to be a star on Broadway, who's going to be the top accountant, who's going to be the best business person, but you've got to do more than that. He challenges them and he says, you will see signs. It's implied signs from heaven, signs from God. You will see signs that will lead you in a direction of kindness and giving back. And then something happens. I don't want to really give it away, but a tragic circumstance happens. And these four additional students find their way to providing charitable projects in different areas. And one of the stories is one of the girls um, meets a man and is inspired to get on the registry and becomes a match for a little child. So it's sort of life is imitating art, is imitating life, but it's all about giving back and kindness. And you said it, Cheryl, we live in chaotic and turbulent times. Every day you get up and you look at your phone and you put it down. I can't, I can't. It's terrible. We have to stay elevated. We have to lift ourselves up out of this mess we're in and find stories that show the goodness of humanity. They still, it still exists. <laughs> you know, it still exists. People still can be good. And I think people want to be good, but they don't know how. I don't think they know how any longer. I think there's just such anger around people every day. I'm seeing it more and more. I'm sure you are. Yes, we are. Well, I love it. And I think it's so important that you're you're doing this story and that you will be doing other uplifting stories as well. And and you're just so right. I mean, we're just so bombarded with all of the bad things every single day that we do forget that there were really good people and really good things happening all around us. They were just not getting the airplay or the, or the time. So it's so, these stories are so important, Valerie. So really thank you so much for, for doing this. And you also have partnered with, um, is it called Be The Match? That's the registry for, for bone marrow, marrow yes. donors. It's a national Great. registry and in, and also they work internationally as well. And uh, they do amazing things. Uh, they have become a partner. Uh, we are promoting each other. And the Andy Talley Bone Marrow Foundation. Andy Talley was a coach, a football coach at a college. And he, upon retirement, decided he wanted to get the best people he could. And those are young men to get on the bone marrow registry. And they've recruited thousands of um, college students, particularly in the football programs, that's how Mike Mushaw got involved at Central Connecticut State University through the Andy Talley Bone Marrow Foundation. They partner with Be The Match. So it's getting the word out about a simple swab and about really educating people that it's not necessarily a invasive procedure. There are many other ways to donate. And you know, to find out more, go to bethematch.org because there's a lot of information there. So uh, we're doing good things. We're giving back as best we can and telling the story of this wonderful, Stephen Manchester wrote the book, uh, The Thursday Night Club. It's his story that was adapted into the audio drama podcast that Lou Aronica adapted into the film. So it goes through many different uh, chapters of getting it where it needs to be. Yeah. We couldn't be prouder to have been picked up so quickly by uh, Pure Flix, and we're very, very excited to be part of it. I think that's so exciting. And I just love the journey of this story and the book and how it just all has happened. As I said, it just all feels like serendipity. But I want to talk a little bit about 
the other really important thing, because you started out as a producer on this film, but you ended up directing it. So how did that happen? Two hats, executive producer, along with the others, uh, Matthew Monty and Lou that I mentioned, and then director. So we had another director that was in place and then literally week, a week and a half before we were set to start going in uh, Connecticut, there was a conflict in his schedule and he had another project and he could not fulfill it. So um, I was, I was chosen <laughs> to, to direct the film. I was chosen and I was helped a great deal. Um, you know, I'm a theater director and voice director. I have done film. I have done television, usually as an actor. So I had to quickly translate the skills I had for those other media and work with the parameters of film. And I had a wonderful director of photography, a woman. Daniela Milikovsky and a great team. We had a, you know, 40 people on the production team and my AD, Mike was very, very helpful in getting me to where I needed to go. And I think really, you know, yes, I, I, I was thrown into it, but I think the most important thing is to give people comfort level on the set as to, for example, one of my day players uh, did not get the script in time. Unfortunately, there was an error and she was freaked, rightly so. I mean, I'm an actor. I would have been freaked. Right. And I just held her hand and I said, you are going to be great. We're going to get you through this. It's not stage. It's film. We can stop. You have time. Get a cup of coffee. Sit down. We're not going to have you for several hours. You're going to be great. And she was great. I think just giving people comfort and giving them space to open up and not be terrified because it, it's not easy. You know, when, when you say rolling, you know, it's like, whoa, right. you know, but, and, and time is money. We have to finish by a certain time. You can't continue, you know, you go over time, but I think giving people that level of comfort and uh, being open to hearing from other people, making it a very collaborative environment at the same time, sticking to structure, doing both those things, makes for a good movie. And and I think we have a sweet movie. I say, Cheryl, it ain't Shakespeare. Okay. It ain't Shakespeare. It's not, you know, like, wow, this is, uh, this is Beckett. No, it's a simple story that needs to be told. That's it. And I hope that people get some pleasure from it. Well, and I think we're all, we're all ready for those kinds of stories, believe me. And I just, I love to your journey to the director, because it's not like you just you you talked about something very important. It's experiences that you've gathered along the way that you were able to utilize to to take on this you know this this role. So was it a great experience for you? And do you now feel like you have the directing bug? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked because I was terrified going into this. Terrified, terrified. Um, walking on set, a little bit meek. By the end of it, I was pretty different person. I was <laughs> taking control and making super decisions. And I was like, if somebody challenged me, I'm like, I understand why you don't want to do it, but I'd like you to do this for me, please. You know, basically I'm the director, <laughs> you know, you don't want to pull that card, but right. it becomes out of control. If everybody tells you how they want to do it, then you have to make that decision. You have to make the decision in editing. And then we do, then the producers come in. Because I'm a producer, but I have producer partners. 
And we collaboratively have to make decisions too. So I was wearing two hats, working with my colleagues as well. Um, yes, I would do it again. I, I loved it. I loved it. And it reminded me that when I direct voice talent, for example, because I've taught voiceover for so many years, I often would say, you know, I think I like directing better than being the talent. I really like seeing the creativity from somebody else come to light that you help support that. And so I felt, and I've said this to Rick, my partner, I said, I think, I think it's better for me to direct than to be talent. I mean, you could still do both. Right. Do both. Right. But I felt that I had the facility within me. It's sort of like when that woman came up to me at your event so many years ago, I didn't know what I knew. She brought that out in me. And then I became a coach and I started to work with many, many people, coaching them in many different ways, teaching. So I didn't know it. This sparked it for me. And right. I did, and I all did. of your skills along the way and all of your experience make this really, I think, ideal for you, Valerie. I, I totally see you in a, in a director role. And I'm sure the confidence that you had in doing that is not something, you might have had some of the skills and technique, but not something you probably could have pulled together 20 years ago because right. you probably didn't have that level of self-confidence and the ability to step in and do that. So right. I think that that is terrific. And I definitely can see you doing a lot more of this. I think that's really exciting. Well, um, I also have to say, if not for those folks and not for my colleagues and co-producers who said, you have to do, it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> You were begging and raising your like, hand, you know, right? Valerie, uh, you kind of have to do this. I'm like, me? <laughs> they're like, yeah, you have to do it. And they're like, don't worry, we'll we'll get you through it. And they did, they did. Well, it sounds like it was a wonderful, um, supportive experience for everyone. So, Indeed it was. and that always makes things that always makes the end product a lot better when um, people have actually enjoyed doing it and they put a lot more energy and soul and heart into it. Now, I can't wait to see it. So, it's now streaming actually on Pure Flix Entertainment. Um, so, what's next for you, Valerie? And I, I know you've got another very exciting project yes, that's indeed. going on right now. So, tell us about that. Okay. Also, I just one other thing yeah. about the movie, Cheryl. That once it runs on PureFlix, we have a second distributor, a second distribution deal, and it's going wide. It's going internationally, and on other different on other platforms and a retail. So, they have a beautiful distribution plan for us. For next year so it will continue and i think that the thursday night club will be hopefully a holiday classic although it's not necessarily for christmas it's it's the story is around christmas but it can it it's really not necessarily a christmas story so we have another distribution deal after this so we're very proud of that that is very exciting so sounds on, like a film everyone's gonna want to see so <laughs> so after this uh while we were shooting monty and matthew and i who get along very well it's very interesting. We're, I, we're three generations from three parts of the world. I'm the New Yorker, Matthew's French, and uh, Monty is from North Carolina. So three different people, three different demographics, but we get along and we like to work together. We started thinking about what, what can we do next? And we wanted to stay in the lane of kindness, giving back, working together and collaboration. We felt that that was an area that you're just not seeing content. You know, a lot of people, by the way, when they get into the film business, 
or TV. They, they go to horror because horror can make money. It's cheap and it's easy to consume and it makes money. Mm. Horror, we wanted to go the other way, the opposite side to faith and to kindness. And so we developed a project called Divine Renovation. I must credit Monty Hobbs with the name and the concept and Matthew and I and Monty created this series and we cast Eric Estrada in it as the host. Wow. <laughs> um, Eric Estrada was the, is the host of this series. We just finished shooting it in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, the concept of this is to find individuals or families in need of home enhancements. Now, we're not a renovation show where you come in and break down walls and put on roofs and kitchens, but people in need often need small things that will change their lives. I like to say small fixes make big miracles. So for example, we found an elderly couple in a rural part of North Carolina with brick and steps and no railings. They, can't, they had no railings. It's dangerous for anybody, let alone 80 year old people. Right. Right. So we came in and we put up railings, secure railings for them. Uh, we gave them a grab bar in the shower, a shower seat. We gave them working air conditioners. You know, we fixed their their bricks that were out of place. And what we did, Cheryl, is we went to the community and we got businesses, not for profits and houses of worship to join us in the effort. It was amazing. It was amazing to wow. see people come together to help others they didn't even know. And we chose five families for under different circumstances. A woman and her son had been homeless. They're now living in a subsidized house in Wilmington and they needed work in their house, in their garden. It was overgrown and we needed to have a landscaping company come in. And they did. We found a landscaping company that gave us two or three full days of work on the house. Oh, isn't that extraordinary how people want to really come and help out when when it's for something good? Exactly. So it's a very heartwarming but fun series because you got Eric Estrada who Well, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, still looks amazing at 73. He's so handsome and wow. so fun and so easy to work with. So we have his lovely personality. We get to meet the people and we see the community and businesses and not-for-profits come together. We love this idea and we were thrilled to be able to help in addition to doing television to help people and get them in a better place. So that's kind of our mission now. That's where we are. I love it. I think that's a fabulous mission for an entertainment company and it is so needed right now. And I just wish you every success with it. And I, and I know it will be a success because you're and, part of it. <laughs> thank you, Cheryl. And by the way, our company, we are we have our own company. It's called Heartlight Entertainment, Monty, Matthew, and Valerie. Although I like to say Monty, Matthew, and me because that sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> our company, now, Heartlight. When is this series? What, what's happening with this series? Has it been distributed yet? Or are you still working on that? Or what? Just shot it. We literally okay. just shot it. So now we're in the editing phase and we're moving very quickly with our editor uh, who's based in Atlanta. And everything's done remotely, you know, in the world today, everything we can do is remotely. So we're moving quickly. We've already seen the first episode. It looks great. We're so excited. And then by the end of this year, we have holidays coming up. So that'll 
cause a little bit of a delay. By the end of this year, we think we'll be in a very good place to get it placed for distribution by spring of next year. And the fact that we have all these relationships and distribution companies and streaming networks, and we have, you know, I will say it's a, a success to shoot within a year, actually several months. We shot in March and we got it on PureFlix by October, November. It's kind of unheard of. So we, we have really good relationships and we believe this will be easily distributed. And of course, I'll keep you up to date when we have that. Uh, oh, absolutely. Well, Valerie, I'm just, I, I shouldn't say I'm amazed because I know you can do anything, but I am so thrilled and excited for you on this, this whole new journey that you're on. Um, I know that it will be successful. I'm so proud of you. I just, I, it's just been remarkable to, as I said, to watch you evolve over, over the last several years and keeping those doors open and taking all of your talents and continuing to leverage them into wonderful things. And this is something that's not only wonderful and exciting, but it's something that you're putting out that's good for the world and it's good for us. So thank you so much for being here today. Any last minute things you'd like to say about any of the projects or anything else? Yeah, I, I thank you, Cheryl. I appreciate it. And of course, I'm still writing for The Three Tomatoes. I mean, of course, yes. Standard forever. Um, I am still doing some acting and I still do voice work. And I just completed uh, in September of this year, several days with the Concordia Conference. And I was their voice. You know, I do a lot of live voice events and uh, hosting. And I did something for Broadway also. So I'm still in that world. I, I don't want you to think I've stepped away completely. I'm still doing that, still teaching um, and hosting. But look, the, the last words are, we live in a tough time and I want everybody to realize that it's not easy to get up in the morning and to proceed in the day, no matter where you live, whether it's New York or wherever, it's a tough time. Um, I just hope that we stay focused on the good because we need to. That's a great way to end this wonderful Happy Hour episode. So thank you. Wishing you all the best in everything. <laughs>